This is a bonus episode of TRBM. Recorded this back in the days of the reluctant book marketer with my friend and you know, just all over great guy, Benjamin Gorman. He is the editor of Not a Pipe Press, publishing publisher. And I see many of his authors interacting on Twitter, uh, people that his press have published. And they're always my favorite people. They come up with witty stories. They have great answers. Sometimes they're sarcastic. You might even say vitriolic at times in a playful way. Vitriolic just means really angry. Um, I'm in a big word kind of mood today, uh, launching some very exciting new things of my own. Uh, it's Friday when I'm speaking this. It'll be Saturday when you're hearing it. And for the last month or more, I've been living right at deadline. Uh, it almost feels like procrastination, but it's just a packed schedule. So I'm not going to share anything else other than please enjoy my conversation about book marketing with Benjamin Gorman. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is your antidote. TRBM is for writers what time lapse was for painters, guitar solos and spotlights for bands, what chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? Tenderly reserved, balanced men? Tenacious rodents and begging mice? Twists reveal believable magic? You decide. Let's start out by talking about design of a book. How important is it to you to make sure that your design is on par with maybe the big five right now? So Penguin Random House, et cetera, for those people who don't know what the big five is. It's incredibly important. And one of the things that uh, I don't know if you noticed is my books have had multiple covers. Uh, And that's because uh, I've learned over time how much of a difference that makes. Mm -hmm. I'm also a high school English teacher. And one of the things that I teach my students is that phrase that we've that aphorism that that we've all heard, uh, don't judge a book by its cover is about people, not books. Yeah, which is it's horrible that we've we've tied it to books because people are trying to come back and apply it to books. And you're like, it couldn't be more wrong if you tried. No. And it comes from a time when books were bound in just leather Mm -hmm. and an old leather book, you know, could still have wonderful uh, copy inside. Nowadays, I tell my students, very smart people spend a lot of time and energy (laughs) using that cover as an advertisement. And you should look at that advertisement and figure out what it is they're trying to convey to you about genre, about the characters, all those things. So, yeah, I think a lot about cover, especially on the publishing side. It's actually harder for me as an author. I need to get the distance to, you know, Mm. and this is something that so many authors deal with. We're saying, but this character is important to me. Yeah, but do they sell the book? Then they don't belong Mm -hmm. on the cover. You know, yeah. and, and so, uh, you know, for helping my authors see that uh, on the publishing company side, you know, maybe a, a stripped down cover that looks more like mm-hmm. something that's coming out of the big five is what's going to, you know, get this book into people's hands. And that's really yeah. the key. I'm kind of curious. I want to hang out here for a second because a thought occurred to me. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, why do you think people are so inclined to, instead of going with majority evidence to find the... Uh, the instance that disproves the rule. Why do you think that we are so inclined to think, oh, well, because I can point to one time where this wasn't the case. That's what I want to do too. Why is that? I think, and this relates to a a, a larger issue. I think it's because often authors have one product to start with. Mm -hmm. And so they think to themselves, I want to be the exception in that I have one product. I need my one product Mm. to be this massive hit on its own. Whereas these other folks that I am seeing out in the market are pushing lots of products. And so they can, Mm. you know, they can have 10 different kind of kind of variations on a theme, but I don't have that luxury. I have to have this one jump out at everyone. And one of the things authors really need to get beyond is the sense that they are pushing only one product. 
you are developing a career. And so you are going to your, your first book. This is this is a really hard thing for all authors, myself included, to recognize is your first book is not going to sell as well as your second. And mm-hmm. your second will help sell the first. And Unless your you're an exception to the rule. Right. Right. And so we do then take that. I need to be the exception to the rule lesson of having one product into cover design, into mm-hmm. marketing. And we think I need to do something different than everybody else is doing because I've got, I am the exception who's going to have yeah. the, the the smash hit with just one book. And there's, you, you know. Sorry. So, so there's, there's the other side too to this, which is not necessarily like I need to be. I've caught myself in this kind of thinking before. The, the longer I've been in this game, the less I think I fall victim to it. But that like what my initial vision was, was so much better than all of the world and the proof that's being offered to me that I should change that I think I'm not going to edit this out. I'm not going to cut this character. I'm not going to change this cover. Um, there is, there's a book on my shelf, uh, that I love and nobody will see this. So I'll say it too, but, um, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wells. It's truly one of my favorite books. And a lot of people can argue that it's supposed to just be shelf art, but I, I love the book. Um, the cover is the most hideous piece of artwork I've ever seen. <laughs> David Foster Wallace himself said it's a hideous cover, and yet it went on to sell better than any piece of literary fiction that year or several years between. Um, it was it was a really pop out success. And people will point to that and be like, see, you know, like, um, why would I ever trust the big five when they can make a cover like that? Again, looking right. to the exception to the rule instead of the proof of the rule. Right. And and what and my guess is David Foster Wallace didn't choose the cover. And so, you know, the that's one of those things. I work with my authors because I really want them to love their covers because yeah. I want them to feel comfortable holding that cover up in a picture. And I have heard horror stories of authors who hate their own covers so much yeah. they don't want to be photographed with it. So it <sighs> is important that you love your cover in that you you know want to be associated with it. But at the same time, you don't want to say my cover needs to be so exceptional that somebody who's walking by a shelf of books doesn't understand what it's about, doesn't, uh, you know, the, the, the cover. One of the things I learned early on is the front cover gets somebody to pick it up. The mm-hmm. back cover gets them to open it up. The front yeah. page, the first page sells the book. Mm. And so you need to get that author to do that kind of mo or the reader to do that motion. I'm going to pick this thing up. Then I'm going to turn it over. Then maybe if it's hardcover, I'm going to look at that inside flap. Then I'm going to open to the first page. That's what's going to sell the book. And yeah. so if your front cover is off-putting because mm-hmm. it is so different, you've prevented that sale right away. Yeah. So it can't be so unique that somebody says, I am not interested in picking that up because I don't know mm-hmm. what it's about or that's not my thing. And so that's why we do fall into some of these genre tropes where we're saying, yeah. oh, these, you know, these these books for, and, and there are fads, absolutely, mm-hmm. where you're saying, oh, all the fantasy is kind of oil, pe- you know, kind of pastel oil painting yeah. of, you know, barbarians and all of the science fiction has mm-hmm. images of, of space in the background. But that's yeah. actually useful to the reader. They're walking exactly. by saying, this is something I might want to check out. Yeah, exactly. And it seems it seems that sometimes we can have incremental change. Uh, my mm-hmm. most recent guest that the, the episode aired, um, Michael J. Sullivan and his wife, Robin, um, they were talking about cover design and um, he really wanted to actually have kind of a return to the more classical um, landscape type of paintings that were were common of your high fantasy type novels, because that's what really drew him in. Um, and his publisher, Orbit, and several others at the time wanted characters on the cover. And he was really opposed to that. But again, it was their show. Um, he, he didn't have any say in it for a little while. So there's there is a bit of a sense of like, we can uh, affect what goes into our covers but there's a there's a wisdom, like you said, in saying there's there's a reason why there's space on the cover of a sci-fi book. There's a reason why there are vast landscapes and and pastel paintings, like you said, on on um, fantasy books. So where do you see room for innovation and in in the cover? Uh, there's so many things you just said, by the way, that I still want to just linger on for a minute. But where do you see room for for innovation? Um in in you helping a design because i'm assuming if you value the cover you value hiring somebody to do cover design 
Yes. And that is, again, an area of, of growth. Early on, it was, well, we need to you know, do this on the cheap as much as possible. Uh, How yeah. can we you know, cut costs? This book is going to make, we estimate, X amount, and we want to mm-hmm. save Y amount for other kinds of marketing and advertising. So let's cut on cover. Mm. Wow. And that bites you in the butt in the long run. Like you really yeah. need to invest uh, in cover, get a pro, somebody who knows layout and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, little lessons like don't use more than one font, never use mm-hmm. a font that's hard to read, you know, those kinds of things. But I think what it comes down to, and this, this is something that's so important for writers to be thinking about too, the book is not for you. It's for the reader. Yes. And that will change mm. so much of the way you go into this process the cover is for the reader the yeah. text is for the reader everything about this experience is a gift you are giving to this reader in exchange yeah. for you know for their $20 but also for their time mm. uh, which is a, a something that they can you you are asking something of someone that they can never replace mm. and so you really have to value that reader highly um, yeah. This person is committing, you know, six, eight, 30, you know, it depends on the length of your book, uh, mm-hmm. h- however many hours of their life to you, you owe them. And I think once that you change that mindset, uh, you know, it's not about this is a character I want in the book, mm-hmm. or this is something I want on the cover. What does my reader need here? And if my mm-hmm. reader doesn't need this character, if my reader doesn't need this cover element, then it goes because it's mm-hmm. about them, not me. Yeah. Here's here's a, an idea that I want to pursue a little bit. There is this sense because we we wrote the book uh, that the book was for us, um, and so we we really don't want to sacrifice on our artistic vision. Um, but as as writers ourselves, there's there's always been an argument about: is there a muse? Is the muse a real thing, or uh, is it just chemical? firings in our brain uh, that make it feel like it's coming to us from somewhere else. Because I don't know of a single writer who hasn't before felt like this story just appeared to me. Um, oh, yeah, and absolutely. If, Flow if, state. I mean, you know, yeah. even if it is, uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, the chemical property or the supernatural, but I've absolutely experienced flow state where yeah. I will lose time and say, mm-hmm. wow, six hours just passed and I wrote 30 mm-hmm. pages. That How yeah. did that happen? You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and so, yeah, that that is this wonderful thing that happens. And I think during the drafting phase, it's entirely appropriate to be selfish. Like you yeah. are enjoying this experience and let that enjoyment get into the text. Uh, you know, it, I, I'll sometimes experience my own books as a film. Like I am, mm-hmm. I'm watching. Oh, I didn't expect that to happen. That was interesting. Oh, the character said that. That was really funny. I wouldn't yeah. have thought of that, you know. Uh, yeah. And and I think that's that's wonderful. Those kind of serendipitous moments in the process. Mm-hmm. It's in the editing and the revision that you go through and say, but does the reader need it? And that's really where your responsibility is yeah. to them. So, so that can be ponderous, but it's uh, I think it's 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 really important. What I think about everything that you just said, though, kind of back at where I was at is is my sense that if you reinterpret the way that you understand how the writing process is happening, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily you don't like you said, you don't have to commit to like sort of like the supernatural or the chemical firings. But to understand that you were your own reader as you were writing mm-hmm. the story um, exactly. and the, the the issue that I have right now and that I would love for people to at least like rethink a little bit is that we self-edit. We self-edit as mm-hmm. we're telling the story. There are bits of it that come to us and we're like, oh, I don't really think that that should be there. And if we think of ourselves as the the reader receiving the story instead of the the you know godlike figure dictating the story to the page, then that that editing process is kind of like what we want uh for for all of the other readers who join us is yeah. that there's a now a collective mind that's experiencing the story. And if we assume that maybe they are part of the creation process, then we try to strip away any of the friction that makes the story less enjoyable and say like, Hey, you know what? I'm one reader. I want this story to appeal to the collective. I want this story to appeal to more people. And the better job I do of that, the more I can connect with a larger bit of humanity. And I don't know about you, but I'm not so elitist that I want my story story to only appeal to 10 people. I'm not so selfish that I only, I want to be the only one who likes my story. I really want other people because I'm a generous man. I think you're a generous man too. And I think that as authors, we should be generous men and women and and thems and people. 
Yeah, well, and there is a there's a real tension there because you're absolutely right. We want to be among those readers who are enjoying the book. And that joy will come through the page. And so it is, I think it's totally appropriate to be self-editing to say, I'm not enjoying this scene. I'm mm-hmm. going to change it for me because that probably is, uh, you know, a good clue that your reader is not going to enjoy it either. You know, when you hit mm-hmm. that, uh, the, the swampy middle and you're saying this book is boring to write for me, it's probably also boring to read. Definitely. <laughs> and so Definitely. Uh, listen to that voice. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, there is that trick where we self-edit for the sake of a really broad readership. And that sometimes gets in our way. So yeah. it is, you know, you don't want to say, I want everyone to like this. And there no, is someone right. out there really who won't like this. You know, my 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 grandmother would have, uh, you know, uh, turned her nose up at this scene. And so I'm going to self-edit it. Mm-hmm. You are much better off to have. And th- this is, again, where thinking about marketing can help. Mm-hmm. The absolute best kind of marketing is somebody saying to someone else, you will enjoy this book. You need to check it out. Yes. And so if you can write a book where a small number of individuals love it, it's much easier to market than one where yes. a vast number of people think it's okay. Yeah. Right. Because love they don't it. then turn yep. to somebody and say, you should read this book. So, you know, aim mm-hmm. for a small enough market of people who will be passionate enough to put it in other people's hands. Yeah. There's a there's a YouTuber. And uh, for the life of me, I can't remember exactly what she YouTubes about anymore. But her name is Jen Morosi. I want to say she is literary and does write books, but I haven't watched any of her stuff in long enough. However, she was making videos for quite a long time and having a, an impossible time reaching anybody. And she got to this point where it was just like, I hate everything that I'm doing. And she decided, F it. I'm going full me. And she started cursing in her videos and being pretty crass, just like she was in real life. She started representing her. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, she has millions of followers. It's really funny because everything you just said is right. And I love that you put what I said in context, because I think we both did mean the same thing. I'm certainly not calling for anybody to only seek mass appeal. I'm just saying I get real tired from my side of the microphone right now of of hearing people and from my side of Twitter or wherever you might have met me of hearing people be like, well, it depends. You know, I'm I am as tired of those kind of qualifications as I am of people who are like, my vision is so precious that I'm unwilling to change it. Um, yeah. You know, the, the world be damned. And I think that both of those things are just really exhausting. I I am not out to be lonely. I am out to have friendships and community and to meet people that that resonate with me and to have enough room in my worldview to have people I disagree with, uh, like constantly in communication with me. And that part, I think, is the hardest part is to to write something that resonates with somebody who has an opposite worldview of you, but really feels your sense of integrity at trying Um is that possible? Do you think to to do that? Oh with a yeah, book? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, yes, it is possible. I, I think our our you know our our polity uh, right now, it, it you know, finding people who will say, "I disagreed with this and I love it, and you should read it." Those people yeah. are fewer and further between. Yeah, uh, but uh, but the, 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 that is you know the community that I I want to be a part of. Yeah, uh, and so that is uh, it, it. Is wonderful when you find folks who you know. And I, there are books that I, some of my favorite books in the entire world, and I disagree with the authors on a host of things. Oh yeah, uh, but I love the books, and so yeah. and I'm willing to say to somebody, you should read this. I disagree yeah. with it, but it's really good. Uh, and yeah. you know, and 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 I think that that comes from, uh, you know, part of it is is being authors ourselves we can recognize different kinds of virtues in something mm-hmm. so i can say i mm-hmm. disagree with the you know the metaphysics the theology of this particular yeah. book for right. example but the writing quality is so high mm-hmm. you should read this or i may have disagreed with the you know the politics of this book but this character is so wonderful you really should read this and so mm-hmm. being able to to have those kinds of nuanced you know, conversations is really healthy uh, because yes. we don't want, you know, all of our books to be, this is, everyone must agree with me, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in order to enjoy this book that, that I would have an audience of one. And yeah. I think this goes back to our politics. You know, I know a lot of folks who will say, well, I can't vote for this person because they disagree with me on X. And mm-hmm. I'm saying, you know, you will not find a politician who agrees with you on everything unless you put no. your name on the ballot. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to hold your nose, you know, and the same thing goes for our mm-hmm. artwork. The same thing goes for, you know, I've, I've, you know, d- debated this with my fiance where she's saying, well, this particular, you know, actor is, uh, you know, I, I really dislike. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. saying, 
Yes, but there were a host of people involved in making this film. And right. this person might be objectionable, but you know, we're not going to mm. harm everybody else who made this film and judge the whole thing. And I understand there yeah. is a line where you say, do I want to even give this person my money because they're mm. so objectionable? So there, there's Boy. a tension there, but yeah, uh, but you know, there are a lot of other people who were involved in that production and that's true of our books as well. We do not produce yeah. them on our own. And so, yeah. you know, how do we uh, encourage a community and a community that has that conversation together? Yeah. Man, I mean, we, we could we could travel in, and I think I'm only going to just dip my toes in by saying the whole time you were speaking, I was thinking of Ayn Rand, um, Fountainhead. That book for me was really, really meaningful uh, because Howard Rourke, there are elements of his character to me that are admirable, that I want to follow that. And I don't know if you've read it. Uh, and for right. those of the people in the audience who have not read it, it's essentially the story of a, a, a truly masterful architect who is... Uh, like the full the full package all on his own. He needs no help. He needs no assistance. He has everything he needs to be perfectly formed. And I think that that's the dream. It's kind of um, why the romance genre works really well is that it satisfies this sense of like, I can accomplish anything I set my mind to and I can be the best right. of the best. Um, I recognize the, the hurtfulness of behaving the way that Howard Rourke did in the real world. Um, but it's kind of like a caricature. I laugh at, at great caricature artists because they highlight a, a feature of a person's face that is naturally funny. If somebody were going to draw a caricature of you, Benjamin, the beard would get like nine times longer, right, um, exactly. you know, and, and that would be funny because uh, your beard is already really larger than life. Um and and so I think that we appreciate when you can highlight something and say, here's this element and make it stand out. Uh, we're, we're traveling just far enough away from marketing that I want to tie it back together by saying what we're doing with cover design is that we are highlighting the most absurd element of the story in order to funnel the audience for us. A perfectly yes. designed cover will do a lot of what we were talking about. It will get a bunch of people like my wife is not going to pick up a, a book cover that has the stars or a spaceship on it. Yeah. Um, so go ahead and take it from there. Well, and that's exactly right. And and so the the trick is you don't want it to be off-putting, but you want to you want to think about who is the person who's going to then say, I loved this and put it in somebody else's hands. There is somebody out there who could say to your wife, okay, I know you don't like books with space, but this one you should read. And the cover that's needs great. to be designed for that person, not for her. So yes. that that person will say, oh, I picked it up because I knew nothing about this author. I knew nothing about this cover. Yes. Then I loved it. It's so good. You should read it You know, mm. because they're going to be who, who markets to her. Yes. And so the cover targets the person who's going to be passionate about it. And then hopefully, you know, the, 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 the goal is always that it blows up beyond our meager efforts. Like we can yes. do so much and then the book takes off on its own, hopefully. Yes. And you never know when that's going to happen. There's a, a one of my former students went off and studied marketing at at, at uh, University of Oregon, maybe Oregon mm -hmm. State. And I was talking to him about it, and he was telling me about this uh, this thing they were taught in their class called the nobody knows principle. Hmm. And the nobody knows principle is this term they use to explain virality. <laughs> Why does one thing go viral? Literally, no one knows. You could mm -hmm. have a picture of a cat and nobody ever sees it again. Another picture of a cat is now everywhere. And we don't know why that is. And so mm -hmm. that is something that we have to kind of accept, which is hard for us mm -hmm. as authors. We want to you know, guarantee our book is going to be the one that goes viral. And we don't have that power. We yeah. have the power to do everything possible to put it in front of someone mm -hmm. so that then they could say, you should check this out and, and, and you know, get involved in that virality for us. Yeah. Uh, and so that there are limits to our ability. And, and that's mm -hmm. that that is that it's hard to accept. You know, it's yeah. not up to us all the time. We just have to do what we can. <sighs> Yeah, it's a tough, that's a tough one. Um, even, even excluding virality, uh, thinking, thinking about, uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll use, I'll use this show as, as the closest example I can. And I'm, I know that you've had these experiences too. So I want you to tell yours. Um, when I started it, I really had a clear sense of the emotional impact that I wanted to have on people and the, the space that I wanted to create. Um, and, I was terrible at it. And I waited in maybe five, six, eight episodes or so and realized I didn't know how to say what I wanted to say. And the searching to figure out how I even say what I want to say. Uh, and then 
communicating that to people and getting them interested in hearing what I had to say and then having something valuable to say and Mm -hmm. all that goes into that and looking at the download numbers and realizing nobody is listening right now. Nobody is listening. That sense of futility and nobody knows. And and then somebody tells you, why don't you figure out your niche? Why don't you figure out exactly what you want to say? Why don't you get really, really zoned in on this one thing? And you do, and you fight through that and you know exactly what you want to say and you start to say it and the results are a little bit better, but they're not great. And then something that you didn't even mean to do happens and suddenly you blow up a little bit and you're like, well, do I chase that or do I keep going this way? Like, what do I do here? There's the billions of nobody knows that fork right. off from the decisions that we're making. Um, do you have a, an experience like that yeah, as well? They, they fork off. But I think the key thing to recognize is the persistence. I think yeah. a lot of folks see those first numbers yeah. and they're saying, OK, I, I you know, invested an hour of my time, two hours mm. of my time. I made this first show and four people watched it and they're all friends of mine. Yeah. That is a failure. No, it's not a failure. Mm-hmm. The second one will lead people to the first. The third one will lead them to the first, the fourth. And so. You just, you know, we control what we control. We can Mm. keep going. Mm. And if you keep plugging away at it, then, and this is true of your books as well, the 20th book sells the first book. And so keep writing. And that's, I mean, you know, I I don't mean to say that like that's easy. I, you know, I I work with authors all the time where they've Mm -hmm. invested years of their lives. And in Mm -hmm. one case, one of my authors spent 10 years crafting this masterful epic fantasy novel she's got mm-hmm. the you know the, the all these worlds developed i mean it's a really wonderful book yeah. and you know the, the it didn't turn into the netflix series that she wanted it to and i yeah. have to say to her that's because you've got to write the next one you've got mm-hmm. to write the next book okay. and the second one came out and the sales of the first improved and yeah. the third one will come out and the sales will improve you've got to keep going uh, and that's that is that's, yes. that's hard. That's not easy to do when you're saying, but maybe it will be for naught. You know, yes. maybe the first one will never take off. It's true. Maybe it won't. Yeah. So I tell my authors, the, the best advice I can give them on successfully selling their first book is write a better book. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for writers to hear. They're like, I think oh, I've written yes. the greatest novel ever. No, yeah. your next book's going to be better because now yeah. you are somebody who's gone through that experience mm-hmm. and write a, write a better book and write a better book. And eventually yeah. somebody's going to say, this 20th book is so good. It makes me wonder where they started mm-hmm. and they'll go back and see the, you know, the golden nuggets yeah. that were in your first book. So you got to keep going and not, not yeah. give up when, when it feels like nobody's paying attention, which is really the, difficult. I don't want, want that to sound easy. You know, no, there, no, certainly it's, those long nights of the soul where you're saying, what's this all about? It will, and I shouldn't say it will work out. We don't know that. You keep going. <laughs> you persist. Right. So, and this this is where I think the gold of this this episode is going to be because I I agree with you, and and I think that everything you said is so true. You cannot, and I know that there are going to be people who are opposed to terminology like win or lose, but you cannot win this game. I'm sorry to say you can't win this if you don't persist. Persistence is required. So I guess we can take that and we can throw that off of the nobody knows equation. You have to continue to persist because going back to virality, if you go viral and you do nothing else, you will lose everybody who checked you out. They're all gone. If you continue, you will hold some of them. But, and here is, this is one thing too. I want to, sorry, I'm, I absolutely want to have a conversation and not hog a microphone. Um, I was hiring for a role at this podcast and I wanted to know that anybody who was going to come in and work with me was going to really care about the vision. And so I linked to a podcast episode and I said, please listen to this one episode. Come prepared to talk with me about the show. My listenership exploded over that period of time because I had so many people applying for the position. And so like that was really gratifying to see. Now, since I've closed that and brought a person on to work with me and dismissed that person because, well, bummer, it just didn't work out. Um, anyways, it work out. yeah, it doesn't, it rarely works out. Hiring people rarely does, but you should still do it. That's another episode for another time. <laughs> um, listeners have gone back down, but I can look at a graph from when I started hiring to when I hired and the trickle off. And I maintained about 40% of everybody who came in. So even people that I didn't hire, people that I said, sorry, it's not for you. They kept listening. And I think some of them told their friends about it. They're like, this guy's doing something really cool. Um, Your story might be different, but that viral moment, you're going to hold some of them. But you know what? It's really hard for me to look at that graph and be like, I went backwards. I didn't actually go backwards. I spiked. 
and yes. then leveled off at a higher point. But it's really, really difficult. I'm sure you've well, had that experience before. Yes. And authors would see the same kind of uneven graph of their novels over the course yeah. of a career. You will have a book that does better than another. And th this is one of those things where, you know, I, I think of some of my favorite authors and I think I, I, I personally suspect that Margaret Atwood um, thinks of herself more as a poet than a novelist. Mm. And yet that's not what is wildly successful for her. Right. You know, but her, her poetry is phenomenal. And mm. yet we know her for her novels. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wonder about Ursula K. Le Guin as well. Uh, I you love know, that. Did she see herself more as a poet? Um, but they, you know, they could track if they would look back through their books. This one was a bigger hit than that one. This one maybe was later in their career, but wasn't as big a hit as an earlier one. Yeah. But over time, somebody who plugged into that later novel went back. And mm. so it's, you know, that there's this constant uh, uh, sense that over time you are building this readership mm -hmm. uh, and, and building this community of folks who want to think about the ideas that you're putting out there. And so you have yeah. to just write a better book. And that's, yeah. And your idea of a better book might not be what the market's idea of a better book mm -hmm. is. And yep. that's just going to happen. But you keep going. Mm -hmm. You don't stop writing. And sometimes I think objectively, there's a couple of things here. Objectively, your idea of a better book might be better. Um, I think that that's fair to say. When you get deep into this, uh, you begin to have a technical knowledge of what you're doing that mm -hmm. is better than your readers. And so you, uh, Stephen King, yes, obligatory Stephen King reference. Oh, yeah, I just read <laughs> his most recent and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, he uh, he wrote Lizzie's story and or he might, I don't even know if that's how he pronounces it. I feel bad like, right now, but he considers that the best book he's ever written for almost any reader. Uh, it's kind of far down in the bottom half of, of books. Technically, yeah, I would he understands that. Yeah, technically he understands why he feels that way. And I'm sure he's right. I'm sure if I had his technical mastery of telling a fiction story, I would get why that book is so great. Um, it may be that it's a sentimental book for him as well. And, and that shades his understanding, but uh, there are definitely authors out there whose best work is not their most well-received work. And you can just objectively know that they've written something better. Um, one thing I want to stop on or return to is something that you said about the sense of control, because we're we're in this kind of dynamic right now of persistence is one part of the triangle. Um, nobody knows is another part of the triangle. How about uh, the throttle? I want to talk a little bit about throttle or how much effort you put in, because I think that creates the triangle. These two things build part of the triangle, and so does nobody knows. How much does throttle uh impact how big your books get uh absolutely uh essential and and part of that is knowing where the gas pedal is uh and so <laughs> nobody know, knows nobody yeah i mean no, I'm but, kidding. <laughs> but, but sometimes i i have worked with authors who write fabulous prose mm -hmm. and they have no interest in communicating with readers well, yeah. beyond the text. I mean, they're willing to put the text out there yep. and, and they're willing to send it off to agents and they're willing to send it off to a publisher. And then they say, and now my role is done. It's done. And I yeah. have to my say, closest friend no is like way. that. <laughs> that is not enough. The, yeah. the throttle is all the work that go, goes along with that, mm -hmm. which says to the reader, I care about you. I want you to read this book. And yeah. if it is just in the text itself, you've kept a diary. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with keeping a diary, but yeah, it's a great you, point. You got to, you know, get out there where the readers are. And yeah. I know that that is difficult right now too. And I know that that's much easier for a cishet white male to go onto Twitter. I deal mm. with a lot less abuse than other folks. So when I yep. say this to authors, I want to be really thoughtful about the fact that, you know, based on people's identities, that might be a, far more difficult for them than it is for me. Yeah. But you've got to go where the readers are and say, mm. you've got to, you know, check this book out. I wrote this thing for you. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you're not willing to put it into people's hands, I do encourage readers, do some live events. Mm -hmm. uh, you learn a lot about marketing standing behind a table at some, you know, uh, county fair mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. I do Comic-Cons. Go yep. wherever you can and learn about what thing when you talked about it, 
made that potential person say, oh yeah, I would like to check that out. And then take that knowledge into the writing process for your next book. Because what you'll find is the thing that you, you, you say, you know, it helped me refine my pitch. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, that that experience of meeting lots of people and talking about the book. So, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I'm on all the social, (laughs) all the socials. And yet hand sales are essential because they not only are, you know, a higher profit margin, but also because they help teach me about what sells these books. Right. I really want to uh, dive in with somebody at some point and almost do a full episode on self-fulfillment because I think that um, there's, there's a, let me think about exactly the way that I want to word this. Um, There's a balance. I I hate the word balance. There's a balance between, um, Amazon sales and profitability. And you can sell a lot of books on Amazon, sell half that many books out of your trunk, and you will make more money on the books out of your trunk than you would have if you sold it on Amazon. So part of me is kind of like, I almost, I almost want to like retitle this podcast and retitle my focus and be like, Hey, we are, we are ninja book marketers. Um, because the, the idea is, is that nobody will ever know you're a bestseller, but you'll be making a million dollars a year because you know how to, to fulfill your own books out of your own stockpile. But like I said, that's another conversation for another time. You just, you mentioned it and it made me really get excited because that is a, an element we're not thinking enough about, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, the, you know, part of the key of, uh, when it comes to being where the readers are is being accessible to them in every possible way. Yes. And so that's, you know, I want to be present physically uh, uh, when you're at, you know, out and about. And I want to be there on, you know, if you'd rather buy it on Amazon or you'd rather buy it on our company store or you'd rather buy it at Barnes and Noble, I want yeah. the book to be in all those places. Yes. And that's because you know, one of the things that I learned early on is that it, once you lose them, you lose them. If you mm. say, here's the cover reveal for my book, but it's not available for pre-order yet. And somebody goes, that's a really cool cover. You've probably lost most of those people. Mm. You need to say, here's the cover reveal for my book and you can pre-order it immediately. Here mm. I'm talking to you at this comic book convention. And if you take three steps away and buy it on Amazon, that's okay. It's available yeah. there too. So you yeah. want to have the book available in as many places as you can. I'll, I'll do a, a convention and I'll mm-hmm. see a spike in Amazon sales because some of those folks purchase it on Amazon that day. Right, yeah, that's yeah. fine, but it's there. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's, uh, it, I, I want it to be, uh, you know, and, and it's easier for me to think about this in terms of marketing my, my, the author's books for the company. Mm-hmm. I am better at marketing other people's stuff. And I think you yeah. will find that a lot of us are hesitant to say, my books are great. Uh, it's easier to say, you should read this other person. And yeah. what I found is that if you can build a community, then the community can sell sell each other's books. And mm. so our, our you know company, one of the things that's great about being in a small press is one of the things I struggled with early on was getting blurbs. Well, that's not a problem anymore because we've built this company of authors and I can reach out as the publisher and say, a blurb from you would be really good on the cover of this book. Yeah. And then I've got five blurbs, no mm. problem, really that's good powerful. ones. And then those people have read one another's books. And so they're going out and they're saying, I've read this book by this other person. It's more comfortable for me to tell you that her book is great. Great. Sell her book and she'll sell yours. And that's the kind of community that we're building. Yes. I love that. I love everything about that. That's, um, I've been, I've been thinking about something and, and let me remind you, you know, this, I think the listeners all know this. I am, I'm a writer first and foremost, but I think a lot about the podcast in terms of that's the thing I'm actively every episode always marketing. So it's really in my brain pan. And for me, my podcast is to you what the publisher is like. That's how I have a lot of my connections into the world. That's how I'm able to ask for favors when I need them, give favors when I am able to all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's really nice. Do you think? That there is more value in spending eight hours a day on social media. If you have to pick a road to take, spend eight hours a day on social media, really meaningfully engaging with people and creating meaningful content or picking up your stuff and going on the road for eight months a year, which would, which would impact sales more? Uh, that's such a good question. I mean, yeah, and I, and I know that this sounds like the lazy answer, but I really do think it's true. You have to do both because <laughs> yeah. if you are out there on the road, 
that's what you're tweeting about. That's yeah. what you're putting on. It's it's a far more interesting story for that person who's engaging with you. If mm-hmm. the content is, hey, I'm out here hand selling this book and I'm learning yeah. what is the quick phrase that I can say that makes somebody grab the book. Well, then mm-hmm. that's what I'm tweeting. And so it. those two are connected. And so if you are just sitting on your couch and trying to do all your marketing from your home, you are going to struggle. Uh, that's going to yeah. be hard. I mean, and the people who do the best online don't talk about their books exclusively. They're talking about this is what's happening in my home. This is, you know, funny thing right. that my spouse said. This is what's going on with my kids. And they're creating those kinds of relationships mm-hmm. and that that content. So you can't just talk about, you know, about right. the, the whole ex- your whole life experience becomes part of your marketing, mm-hmm. uh, except the parts that you choose to cordon off. And I do encourage people to have a kind of public persona and that yeah. it's okay to have a private self uh but mm-hmm. you you do want to you know be thinking about it, this is potentially content this is something that i can then say to folks this is part of who i am that i'm willing to share and hopefully yeah. that drives you to form a relationship with me which makes you interested in reading what i'm writing about so yeah. it's it, it's a long game uh Ooh, marketing so is not you know it's it's not like it used to be where you'd you'd get the agent and the agent mm-hmm. uh would you know get the the fifth avenue uh, publishing company to then do all the work for you like yeah you are everything now and that's that's true whether you're published with the big five or you're doing it on your own yeah uh, you've got a lot of work to do to get yourself out there and i'm also sympathetic to the fact that there are a lot of authors who don't want to do that you know we, we work in this field where there are certain fields that have more extroverts or more introverts uh, you know, if you if you if you know, uh, uh, you know, actors, so many extroverts, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people who will just monologue, <laughs> you know, they love being around people. Not yeah. everyone. They're certainly introverts, but they're they feel often like they're unusual among other actors. Mm-hmm. Engineers are the opposite. Like you hang mm-hmm. out with engineers and I've, I've had conversations with engineers at parties where they're like, I'm an extrovert engineer. I am unusual in my field. Right. And I yeah. feel, you know. And authors, a lot of authors are introverts. And so mm-hmm. going out there and doing public speaking and standing behind a table and kind of encouraging somebody to have that conversation is uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, and pushing and- yourself past that. Whereas you and I, I think, are mm-hmm. extroverts. We both yeah. like, we're trying to build community. So it's easier for mm-hmm. us. So I want to be sympathetic to the people for whom this is really difficult, but uh, yeah. it's really vital. Yeah, there's a, there's a, so much there to 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 break down. I don't know if I'm actually uh, an extrovert. I'm becoming more extroverted in nature because I choose to extrovert a lot. And when you do something quite a bit, it becomes more natural. But Thanksgiving was yesterday, um, which there was just a, a funny moment when you mentioned Ursula K. Le Guin. I have a tweet out about her this morning, so that's funny as well. But um, I was with my wife's family and I don't extrovert around them. Uh, They're farmers. They're small town people. They are wonderful, wonderful people. I like all of them and I can have one-on-one conversations just fine. But in the the largeness of that family, I turn right back into the introvert that I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is very situational for me. If you put me in a room full of my Twitter friends, I guarantee I'll be the life of the party. I will be like loud razzmatazz like you wouldn't believe. Um, And so it's, it's kind of funny how I, I think her family probably thinks that I'm like a nerdy bordering on like um, uh, mentally disabled. <laughs> the shy, I'm quiet so, guy who barely yeah. ever speaks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's because I know that if I talk about the things that really impassion me, uh, their eyes will glaze over. And that, that sense like kind of puts the governor on me. Um, so that I think is true yeah. of us as well is that sometimes we step into the roles you talked about, um, having kind of a public persona and a private persona. Um, I play both of those things and they're kind of interchangeable. There's, there's a role for each world that I exist in. Yeah. Well, and I found um, that that's psychologically healthy. Like you, yeah. you, you know, the, the times in my life where I've let the public persona completely take over and I, you know, mm-hmm. I've overshared and that kind of thing, that's yep. not healthy. And then right. the times when I withdraw so much that I'm saying, I don't want to put myself out there, that's unhealthy as well. So finding yeah. that balance uh, is is really important. Absolutely. Uh, so let's let's kind of think about wrapping up right now. I want to know a little bit about your writing experience as far as um, well, actually, let me let me pause. I want to first talk a little bit more about throttle because there was one thing I think that we didn't touch on is that do you believe that somebody who has been moderately successful can guarantee an increase in success by increasing throttle? Do you think that that is it a guaranteed lever or 
you know, because you, you, you talked about knowing where the gas pedal was, but suppose that you don't know where it is, but you just like, you press every freaking pedal everywhere. Yeah, press is it every a, pedal. Yeah. Is it a uh, guaranteed? That's a good question. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, could you accidentally hit the brake? Like, are there uh, ways that that could be bad? Probably not. Most of my inclination is to say, try, try it, try it, try it. Uh, But there, you know, there, I I am hesitant to say I guarantee anything in this business. (laughs) You know, there is probably a way you could smash on all the pedals and one of them you'd find out is the brake. And that would be bad. So uh, you do, you know, you do have to be thoughtful and you also need to be managing your time which is so difficult for authors because you can spend so much i mean this last week with potentially twitter imploding you know with the engineers telling us twitter may crash i'm creating an account on i created an account on mastodon on hive like just to be prepared you know well if i'm posting to instagram mastodon hive twitter facebook Mm -hmm. and tiktok when am i writing what you know and, and i understand that writers resent being encouraged to be in so many places and putting so much effort in yes on the other hand if you're not putting that effort in the readers don't know what you're writing and so figuring Mm -hmm. out how to how to manage that and maintain the throttle and also uh you know be available to to your readers that's it's it is not easy and that there therein we are tying back to the idea of hiring which i think is really important and under i think uh utilized is that most writers probably need to hire for some of the um, more mechanical elements of what we're doing. Uh, but we're always, we're always reluctant to spend money. And that's another, that's, uh, fits into the throttle category. How much money are you willing to spend on this? I think I've said it before. I want to say it again. And then I want to get back to my question about your writing. Um, any small business owner, anybody who's ever started a small business outside of the arts, apparently understands that you're going to have to dump in a lot of money and that the first several years are going to be not profitable. Every business owner I know of treats it that way. So you start a painting business, you start a a drywalling business, you start a farming business, anything that you start, you know that you're going to be in the red for a while before you get into the black, before you're in the green. Um, There's a weird thing that we're all like, well, I'm not going to pay to get my book edited because I can't afford to freaking go into debt for it. I've been saying this a lot on my my show lately, and I'm going to continue to say it because this is a business Let's go ahead. It's all right. You will make it up if you treat this like a business and you persist. You talked about it all the way at the beginning. Just keep persisting. If you don't quit, you won't lose. And if you don't lose, you're going to be in the black eventually. So let that just happen when it does. Yeah. Well, and, and I, this is a mistake that I, that not Notify Publishing absolutely made. Early mm-hmm. on, it was all about how can we do this on the cheap? And what we experienced is you know, there, there are certain things you can figure out how to do in-house. But what happened was we plateaued. They're mm. just, you just hit a wall where yeah. you're saying we do not have the ability in-house to do all the things we need to do. We yep. need to take on debt. And yep. I wish we'd done it two years earlier. Like once you hit the plateau and you can see it on the graphs, you're going, I wish we'd taken out the debt then, you know, and so because it, it, it kind of stymied the company. And so, yeah. yes, absolutely. Invest, invest, invest. And now yeah. we're to the place where we ask our authors, you know, you mm-hmm. know, uh, we are a traditional publishing house. We pay for everything. So I never mm-hmm. say to an author, you have to, you know, g- uh, pay for this or that. Right. But there are things we cannot afford. And I'm really upfront about that too i cannot say you know i cannot send that author on a, a international tour oh, uh, and yeah, so mm-hmm. you know what are the things that they can invest in uh and 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 understand you know getting them to think about that is really healthy and then getting their answers so that we can say we know what kind of investment to make in terms of marketing mm-hmm. based on what investment this person is willing to make. And that might not be financial. That might be yeah. they're saying, I am willing to commit this amount of time to mm-hmm. marketing. And then that says to me, then the company should invest more money. And if a person says, I'm not willing to invest any time, maybe we put their wonderful book out there and we make it available and they are happy and we are satisfied that we mm. put this great book out there and it's a, it's a high quality book, but we can't invest a lot if they're not willing to invest in, in yeah. some way, time and yeah. energy uh, into its marketing. Uh, because otherwise I just get resentful and burned out. Like I'm working so hard to get this book in people's hands and this author doesn't care. Yeah. Better to tell me that in advance. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I love what you say. And I want to I want to touch on that, too, and, and relate it back to the business world, because I think there's probably a misunderstanding of what what happens. But I worked for a company um, many years ago, but for a long time, uh, it was originally called Pugs. It merged with another company called Solar. It became SRP horrible company name. Um, and they brought in um, investment companies to pump a ton of capital into that company yep. so that that company could expand out and take over 7-Eleven, Circle K, all of these massive speedway, huge national chains of, of gas stations, put their product inside of those places. That is what a publisher is to an author. A, a publisher is actually the capital partner who's going to pump in a lot of money but the problem is, is that you don't understand where the money got pumped in. It got pumped into the books themselves, to the binding, to the cover design, to the editing, to all of the stuff that created the book. There's a, a ton of capital investment that goes into doing that and doing it well. And so they're going to take a lot of the profits from you. And you should kind of expect that. But that doesn't mean that you no longer are a capital partner in your own freaking business. It's still your business. You just brought yeah. on a capital partner in the, you know, called a publisher. So... I apologize. Somebody's car alarm is going off. I don't know if your listeners are able to pick that up. I, I hope not. Uh, I can but yeah. hear, but it's okay. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, finding that, uh, 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 you know, again, I keep coming back to, to balance, but I don't mean balance like it's easy. Finding that balance is mm-hmm. uh, is difficult. Uh, how, you know, how much is that going to be the responsibility of the publisher and how much is that going to be the author's responsibility? And yeah. and both of you doing your part uh, is really mm-hmm. essential to success. Yeah. So there's the because we both talked a little bit about balance, I want to talk about kind of the the idea of leverage, too, because in balance, you could have a fulcrum where um the entire level is equally weighted across the whole thing. And it's at the center point of, of the, the, the fulcrum. And so it's in perfect balance. Um, that is the, the image of balance I get when I hear the word. And it's the image of balance that I least like because our life is not built that way. And so I think, um, Going back to Robin and Michael Sullivan that were just on my show, I love them so much. Um, Robin is a very unique person in Michael's life and that, that she's married to him. And so she fulfills a lot of his relational needs. She's also a marketing genius. And so mm. she's able to be kind of his publisher and do a lot of that stuff. And it frees him up to do a lot of writing. So their balance looks a lot different than most people's balance in that Robin is a very, and not physically, Robin, you're in fine shape, but she's a very heavy object that can weigh down one side of the lever so that Michael can be way, way, way out there, far away doing all of the writing and not as involved in the marketing as a lot of authors will need to be. You may find somebody in your life who's a heavy object. And when we think of balance that way, I'm fine because you might stack up like nine things on one side to keep the balance going. It's just, it's just this idea of like, oh, I need to balance my personal time with my work life. No, I think the appropriate way to do this is to figure out how to bring more of your personal life into your work life so that you can maintain satisfaction and continue to work. My wife, maybe a better uh, analogy is spinning plates. You know, we're spinning a lot of plates and you're right. There is not one center point. Uh, you've got multiple plates and you've got to keep them all spinning. And my uh, my fiance, for example, is the person who really knows about merchandising mm. and she's she's not an author herself. And so that is where she's been really helpful for the company mm. is figuring out the merchandising side. And yeah. then my co-publisher, Vivica Sheeran, is the editing whiz and and what makes her such a great editor is she's fast and that's i mean one of those things i had to just learn about myself and accept about myself i can edit the hell out of a novel (laughs) you just won't get it back for a year you know and that's not acceptable right (laughs) i'm very slow at it i'm methodical Mm -hmm. she may miss a couple of things i would have caught in a year but she did it in a week and she's so quick she's so talented at at, at spotting those kinds of things as as a copy editor and that's really been invaluable for the company because we can it, it changes our the you know, if folks could see kind of behind the curtain, all the work that goes into getting your book from the time you send that manuscript to when it is in readers hands and how it has to be calendared out Mm -hmm. so that you can say this reviewer needs it three months in advance. This reviewer needs it six months in advance. Are we going to even bother with that reviewer? Let's, you know, because they may still not review the book. Let's weigh that. Like those, all these decisions are being made throughout the process. Can we have an ARC that is prepared for this particular person six 
months in advance. Yeah. We're, we're faster than the big five. Like they will publish your book and they'll say to you, yeah, it's going to come out in two years and right, we can exactly. have your book out in six months, you know, mm-hmm. and, but that's because we forego certain things, you know, that we're not yeah. going to get this Brilliant. particular, uh, uh, you know, and so there are a lot of decisions that need to be made and Vivica's skill at editing makes a lot of it possible because she can you know she can do that work so the copy editing so quickly yeah Uh, and then that way i can work a little bit more on the developmental side and i can be working on isbn and interior formatting and cover there's just a ton of work that goes into making sure that you know artifact when it's in your hands is something Mm -hmm. that you value i I want the reader to say this book is precious to me this is Mm. really cool this all came together well but yeah. there's a lot of stuff that we don't think about as readers. You know, I don't think very much about interior formatting until it's done poorly. You know, we don't think about cover until it's a bad one. Right. And so making sure that it's not something that gets in the way of your experience mm. of the text itself is really yeah. vital. Boy. Yeah. You are the, all of these things. And I think it's a beautiful spot to, to really think about uh, how difficult it is to be one person in this in this industry. Because if you don't have a publisher behind you, if you're self-publishing, those are all things you have to be thinking about is getting those reviews, yeah. getting those art copies, getting all of that set up and just the scheduling alone. That's one thing we don't talk a lot about as authors. I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I sense that it's probably true is that authors are probably not on the whole, the most well-organized folks. The creative brain doesn't tend to lend itself to organization. So I like to think I'm kind of organized. And if you looked around my workspace, that's kind of. <laughs> yes. Well, and and it, there is a measure of uh, that chaos that can lend itself to marketing, you know, where mm-hmm. you're saying I'm trying, I'm, 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 you know, yes. throwing the spaghetti at the wall. Like that's Demon not sticks. altogether bad, but yeah. I think over time we learn mm-hmm. to become more organized out of necessity. Like yes. I have to organize my, and I am, so much more organized now than I was when yeah. I started out because I've learned these things have to happen at these times in yeah. order for this to be successful. And so I've got to plan this thing out better. Uh, and so yeah. again, the first book is probably not where you're going to do your best marketing because you don't mm-hmm. know, you haven't learned those lessons yet. Right. And, and so accept that, you know, that, that, that first book that you love so much because you've been working on it so hard, yeah. you don't know how to market it yet. And yep. the next book, you're going to be better and people will come back and read that first one. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you'll, you'll learn that through the doing. Yes. So talk to me about your books uh, that, that you've written. Did you start the publisher as um, a, a way to, to get your books out there or how do, how do they factor into everything that you're doing? Yes, exactly. So I uh, started a company with a single product, which is when you step back from it, a terrible, terrible idea. Like nobody goes to a store and says, oh, I've stepped into this store and they have not, not, not Snickers bars. They have one Snickers bar. <laughs> and if you yeah. purchase that Snickers bar, that's yeah, all that they thing. have to sell you. <laughs> you're, you're done with them. Right. And that is when you self-publish at first, you have one product and that's really challenging. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I can remember many times, you know, sitting out at, at at a table at some sales event and I'd be next to these authors who would have lots of books and people who are selling their, you know, their, their craft or whatever. And they have lots of different things. And I had one book. And if somebody wasn't interested in that one book, I had nothing else for them. So mm. starting off was rough. Uh, yeah. And then. Uh, you know, pretty quickly on and partly out of that frustration and not being able to find blurbers, I mm. started reaching out to other authors through these networks that I had. The, the Willamette Writers is a wonderful organization here in the Northwest and connecting with other folks there and, and, you know, and then created this very real company that was taking submissions and doing things in this traditional way. And that allowed this growth. And so now mm. we can go out to a place and we can say, if you don't like this book, we have, you know, 42 other others uh 40 yeah for you we have uh, published our 43rd on uh, tuesday yeah. of this week. congrats so uh, yes yeah, very cool book uh, and so uh, that you know if somebody comes to the table i can say if you don't like what i write that's totally fine i've got mm-hmm. so many other options for you of uh, these things that i think you'll enjoy and then maybe that person says oh you know what the the funny looking bald guy who handed yeah. me this book i'm going to check out one of his too because i've yeah. now built that connection so yeah. yeah so over time it's grown just and then because we started doing anthologies the number of authors has grown exponentially mm. 
Uh, yeah. because that's 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 been one of the you know really exciting places to see growth and those authors who you know I published one of their short stories and now they're mm-hmm. coming back to me with a complete manuscript for a full novel. Yeah. Uh, so we've been building those positive relationships. And one that's of awesome. the most heartening things is I have I've had authors now come back to me and say I am submitting to you because I reached out to a bunch of your authors and they have, you know, said that this company works really hard for them. And that's so awesome. that's really rewarding. Yeah. That when is, when the, really the people great. in the industry are saying, you, you, you know, you're, you're legit, you're upfront, you pay your royalties on time uh, and, uh, and you take good care of your authors, then they come mm. back. Yeah, that is a good story to hear. I think that I think publishing needs more publishers like you. And I feel like we could have easily talked just about your experience as a publisher in the industry um, of of marketing as kind of a, like the, the bigger thing. Um, we talked a lot about from the author side, uh, what is going on. So we probably need to have a kind of a part two where we talk about what the publisher does um, oh, for, <laughs> for marketing. Um so uh, in the meantime, where can my listeners go to find the books that you sell, uh, your own books and your publisher's books, and where else would you like them to interact with you? Sure. So the best place to go is notapipepublishing.com. Not a Pipe is a reference to the Magritte painting because we publish things that are representational uh, fiction. Uh, and so uh, Not a Pipe Publishing. And if you go there and you go to uh, books, you get descriptions of all the books. And if you go to bookstore, that's the best for us. So if you buy them from our, our bookstore, uh, but of course, everything's available on Amazon, on Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever you might want to find it. And my books are, um, my first one was The Sum of Our Gods. It's religious satire. Uh, and that makes it's I call it gently blasphemous. Uh, the uh, the second one was uh, corporate high school. It's a YA dystopia uh, about corporations taking over our schools because that's something as a teacher I'm intimately aware of. Uh, the third was uh, the digital storm, which is a re a science fiction rewriting of Shakespeare's The Tempest. Wow! And then the uh, the the big one that uh, came out a couple of years ago, and the sequel will come out this summer. I wrote a book called Don't Read This Book. And it will yeah, be that. part of a series called the, the Convention of Fiends. And it imagines a world where all the monsters of the world get together every year for an annual convention in Las Vegas. So cool. uh, that that one's funny and fun and I like case. it. I love it. Okay, perfect. So I will send everybody to your publisher and... <laughs> Whoops, excuse me. So it's been fantastic talking. We definitely need to do a round two about the publisher. Uh, I really feel like you brought so much to share with the guests. And so I really thank you for your time, Benjamin. Sure. Yeah. And everybody out there, keep writing, write a better book. Yes. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?